1: Welcome to the Legal Talk Network. We're glad you could listen to our show today on Workers' Comp Matters. I'm attorney Alan S. Pierce. I'm a lawyer. I concentrate in workers' compensation cases. On this show, we concentrate on topics relating to workers' compensation. As you probably know, there are many types of workers' comp cases. What we want to talk about today uh, are latex allergies in the workplace and how to represent people afflicted with latex allergies. Natural rubber latex allergy is a serious medical problem for a growing number of people, and it is a disabling occupational disease among healthcare workers. Allergic reactions to latex range from skin disease to asthma to anaphylaxis that can result in chronic illness, disability, career loss, hardship, and uh, in some cases, death. According to the FDA, about 8 to 12 percent of healthcare workers and other people exposed to latex on the job are estimated to be allergic to latex. We have three very special guests I would like to introduce. Uh, the first is Attorney Jim Brady. Aside from co-hosting the popular legal talk network show, The Boston Bar, Jim litigates in the area of workers' compensation and Social Security disability law before administrative agencies. Jim's firm, Brady & Monac, represents plaintiff's civil and criminal cases in the District and Superior Courts here in Massachusetts. Beyond that, Jim has lectured on the subject of workers with latex allergies nationwide, including before the Mass Continuing Legal Education and for Seek Inc. at its national workers' compensation seminars. He is the author of Disability and the Latex Allergic Healthcare Worker, and is a contributing author to of um, rather medical multiple chemical sensitivity cases and Darbert. Uh, he also has uh, co-authored Massachusetts uh, Workers' Compensation Practice. Welcome, Jim. Thank you for joining us in the studio today.
2: Thank you very much for having me, Alan. I will.
1: And also joining us are two more guests, uh, Sandra Jutras and Dr. Gail Lenehan. Sandra has had a very personal experience with latex allergies in the workplace. In fact, she was represented by Jim Brady after she was disabled as a result of workplace latex allergy. She is a master's prepared, advanced, practice-registered nurse, and she has more than 20 years of emergency department experience. She has taught nursing at the graduate level, and she now has her own nurse consulting business called Kevel Medical Legal Consulting. Welcome, Sandra. Thank you for being a guest today, and I will be wanting you to talk about your latex allergy experience. But before we start, I want to introduce our third guest. It is Dr. Gail Lenahan. Uh, Dr. Lenahan is a member of the Massachusetts Nurses Association's Congress on Occupational Health and Safety, where for the last eight years she has advocated for nurses with occupational illness and specifically latex allergy. She has been faculty coordinator for four national symposia across the country on latex allergy, and she has chaired several latex allergy task forces at the state and national level. She has lectured, written, and networked extensively with nurses, nursing editors, and others to educate nurses and other healthcare professionals regarding the issue of latex sensitization. Gail, welcome. Gail, let's start with you. Would you explain for us what is latex allergy and why is that now a concern among healthcare professionals?
3: Well, latex allergy is an allergy just like an allergy to peanuts or bees or or penicillin. That part isn't too confusing. But I think the part that is confusing is it involves oftentimes latex gloves and medical gloves are thought to be healing and life-saving instead of um, a threat to your health. We we rarely ever saw any allergies to um to rubber and latex is what it's called when it's in the the gloves and the balloons until the late '80s when HIV was on the rise and the glove supply could not keep up with demand and many of the gloves it's it's pretty well agreed upon were made. Um, quite allergenic. They weren't washed or processed as they normally were in an attempt to get them to market very quickly. And in the late 80s, you began to see healthcare workers uh, sneezing, their eyes watering, their noses running, um, you began to see the rashes um, uh, the allergic uh, more contact rash like you'd see with a poison ivy, red cracked red skin, and then gradually you 'd begin to see people having airway problems um, wheezing, asthma, hives all over their body, and then the anaphylactic reaction that you 'd get from a peanut where your blood pressure drops and uh, you could pass out and even die.
1: And Sandra, tell us your experience. I think uh, from talking to you before we started, your problems with your health started in uh, the late 80s, did they not, right around this time?
4: I was diagnosed with latex allergy in 1987. Um, I sought professional um, diagnosis for a rash on my hands that occurred at work and was thought to be the powder in the gloves originally. Uh, it turned out that it was one of the first um documented at that institution, one of the first few cases of latex allergy, and it had been recognized prior to that in Canada among spina bifida children. um was just in the early stages of being recognized. Uh At the time, it was considered type 4, or delayed hypersensitivity, where it was confined just to my hands. The treatment was with vinyl gloves, take antihistamines, return to work. Later it progressed on to a much more serious stage. It took several years, and since 1987, that's about 18 years I've had it. Uh, Right now it's type 1. It's severe, immediate. It's the same as if someone, as Gail said, if someone ate a peanut, the immediate reaction to something as simple as an elastic band Being having a balloon break in my presence, anything in the environment. Um, It's so severe that it's life threatening at this point.
1: Really? And do you take any preventative treatment? Are you on any medication or do you have to carry a like a bee sting kit or epinephrine in case you have an attack?
4: All of the above. Every day I take medication just to be in what I call the real world because rubber is so common. Uh, in the everyday contact. So I take medication to cut down on the reactions in the real world. It certainly ended my professional career as a nurse practitioner. I cannot work clinically any longer. And I've had to reinvent myself in another way professionally.
1: And you now have a medical legal consulting firm?
4: Yes, I I have Kevill Medical Legal Consulting. Um, I'm a nurse, legal nurse consultant. And I work with attorneys and insurance companies around specific matters of workers' comp, disability, also all the other phases of personal injury, medical malpractice, et cetera.
1: When you mention your disease or a reaction progressed from type 4, which was delayed, to type 1, which is immediate, how did that manifest itself in symptoms other than what you previously described as a rash or airway disturbance?
4: Initially, from the rash uh, presentation, it then went to the itchy eyes, as I recall, watery eyes, almost like hay fever. And then it went to the itchy eyes, runny nose, scratchy throat. Then it was hives on my neck. Then it was hives on my body. Um, Then it was asthma symptoms. Then it was weakness, rapid heart rate feeling weak, and nearly passing out.
1: And during this time, during the period where these symptoms progressed, changed, and worsened, was this always recognized as being uh, because of the latex exposure and the allergy to it?
4: It was understood that that was the source. What was little understood was the treatment. In the early days of latex allergy, the treatment plan was only avoidance And then they added avoidance and antihistamines and returned to work, which is what I did, and we all thought that was a fine idea. Yeah,
1: Yeah, because it would seem to me that um, people would just tell you avoid the latex and you're good to go. Jim, how does this play out in the workers' comp setting? You get a client such as Sandra who comes into you with a history that she wore latex gloves, was exposed to latex in the workplace, and had these symptoms what problems does that now give you and her from a legal perspective?
2: Well, you, you kind of touched on it, Alan, when you said, uh, you know, avoid the problem and the or avoid the latex. And that was the, one of the major problems we had when we started trying these cases is trying to educate the judges uh, as to where latex was. And latex, uh, that I discovered through, you know, research and, and, and listening to my clients, is is everywhere. I mean it's it's in the rug that we're we're on right now. It's in the erasers on pencils uh, or at least the you know, the rubber-based products lead to these type of uh, problems. It's in scratch tickets when you when you buy a lottery ticket. It's in a in a multitude of things. I actually had clients who were reacting to their undergarments. They couldn't wear certain type of underwear because of the rubber band sets in the underwear. Uh, it, was, it really was an amazing, it was quite an educational process, not only for myself, but also to try to bring the judges up to speed and try to educate them as to, you know, why they should be um, awarding benefits in these cases, when many of them, their initial reaction was, well, oh, you have a, you have an allergy. Just don't go near it, kind of like hay fear or, or allergy to grass. Just stay away from grass, and you'll be fine. Go back to work. It just wasn't possible for these nurses to do that. Okay.
1: And Gail, how has the medical community had to adapt and change as this phenomenon developed in the late 80s and has continued?
3: Well, the main problems were the latex gloves, and all rubber isn't created equal in the main problem. Um, as far as what was sensitizing people, were the gloves. Um, for a clown, it might be the balloons, but that stretchy kind of um, glove, where when you stretch it and it snaps, the um, the. Powder that's bound to the proteins are in the air and people are breathing it, which is a, a very quick way of sensitizing them. And I think that the medical community has responded. I mean, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of studies out there looking at various aspects of it. And many of the more progressive hospitals have switched, ideally to no latex, to synthetic uh, gloves. Um, in some cases to low protein um, and very little powder gloves. unfortunately, after people are sensitized, once they become allergic, even the low protein low powder gloves can cause a reaction. It only takes a few molecules, whether it's of um, you know peanuts or um or latex to cause a severe reaction. But many of the hospitals um, uh, have Changed gloves, and that's the single most important thing, um, because it's it's when it's in the air that you breathe that you really don't have a chance. The other rubber you can more successfully avoid, and the other rubber, like the um, the 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 erasers and pencils or the tires on your cars, are processed in such a way that many of the allergens are removed. So it's largely the gloves and catheters that might be put inside your body that are going to cause the worst reaction.
1: Uh, And just sort of following up a little further on that, are are there a certain type of person that is prone to the allergy uh, or would anybody ultimately become allergic if they were exposed to, as you put it, dirty latex?
3: There are, there are um, three considerations. One, if you already have allergies, you're more likely to get another allergy. And then the other two are how much you're exposed to and the root that you're exposed to it. If it's under your skin, if somebody's putting a, a latex glove in your belly um, frequently, you're going to gradually become um likely to be more likely to become sensitized and if you're breathing it and it's it's through your lungs which is immediately absorbed the other way is if you're eating food that's been handled by um by latex gloves the proteins readily bind um to the food and then are are um, ingested and of course your GI tract is is designed to absorb um, so if you have somebody who already has one or more allergies, hay fever, you know, whatever. And then they have a a big exposure to a lot of latex gloves. They're changing them frequently. They're, they're breathing it maybe in a confined space and, um, and it's coming through a sensitive route, like your lungs or um or your mucosa you're much more likely to become um, allergic, so you look at people who are wearing a lot of gloves a lot of the time, and that's who's going to more likely become sensitive
1: and sandra i 'll just um, direct this to you, but uh, Dr. Lenhan, please jump in. Is this something that is curative or basically once you reach a type one status, are you basically? Uh, Required to protect yourself and take appropriate avoidance and uh, medication steps, or is there something that can, can cure this problem?
4: It's my understanding there is no cure at this time for latex allergy. What has improved, as I understand it, is the education of people experiencing that in healthcare and other facilities that use latex and diminishing their use and advising employees to. Discontinue that line of work earlier in the, in the process than I did.
1: Okay. And Jim, I think we both know that sometimes the legal process is the uh, last process to catch up with uh, developing phenomena such as latex allergy or some of the other uh, afflictions that that injured workers are subjected to. Whether it's carpal tunnel or repetitive stress injuries, tell us your experiences with trying to educate. Fact finders and tribunals, whether it's Social Security or industrial accident boards or the courts, uh, on the long term effects of this well, exposure.
2: Sure, Alan. Uh, you know, it was interesting when these cases first started coming into me. I um, I was really intrigued by them because it was different than what I had seen before. And and I don't know about you, but it, I do a lot of work as comp. I know you do a, a, a tremendous amount of comp. But those for those who are listening. I, I was very intrigued by this because I wanted to. I, I thought it was a good way to kind of refresh in the practice, and it really forced me to do a lot of research, as I mentioned earlier. And also, I was became exposed to a wonderful set of, of people out there, primarily nurses. Most of the time, we saw them, in, we see them in back cases, but this is quite different. Um, so after I educated myself, getting before the judges and educating them was was a chore. I mean, it was it was giving them a lot of literature. Sometimes synopsizing that literature for them so they they'd at least read it for you. Um, I I had one case where. A nurse from uh, upstate New York called me. She couldn't find an attorney who who wanted to take on these kind of cases, and somehow she got my name. I went up, I I went into a Social Security disability hearing up there, and I was immediately met with this tremendous resistance from the judge, like, who are you, and what are you doing here from Boston? And uh, he just didn't want to listen. Finally, it was a three-hour hearing, and by the end of the hearing, he had definitely seen you know, that this was real, it was well documented, uh, at that time we weren't dealing with Dobert, and of course in the Social Security component we're not really, but even in the comp side, uh, Do- Dober hadn't raised his head at that point, it has recently, but, uh, these cases are easy defend- easily defended on that standing because there's a multitude of literature. Uh, the uh, medical literature, which, which documents this, but for those folks, uh, attorneys that are listening, to are considering taking on these kind of cases, I would suggest you do so. Uh, there, uh, you'll find that uh, uh, the nurses you are going to be working with are, are very high wage earners, at least in the area that, in this area, the Boston area. Um, they will educate you tremendously. They help you tremendously with the cases, and uh, I think it puts a little uh, zest, if you will, back into your own practice.
1: And tell us about some of the evidentiary problems. You touched on Dobert a moment ago, which has to do with the standard of, uh, uh, scientific reliability of your expert witness. But what about merely the fact of being able to isolate the offending gloves or products and show the certain concentrations of, of, um, um, ex- yeah. exposure related well, materials?
2: unlike the third party actions where I think that would be a more of a difficult Process to make, and I really didn't handle any of the third party cases because uh, my my practice isn't large enough to do this. is major products li- uh, liability uh, litigation, and and uh, uh, I ended up referring a number of these uh, cases out to a uh, law firm out of New York City, uh, Barron and Bud. He used to, one of the fellows used to be president of Atler. Uh, they were in New York City and Dallas. And then in this area, uh, the fellow Hawaii co-host of Austin Bar with Paul Kenny, has done a number of these, uh, third-party cases. In fact, he has a couple still, uh, going on in, in Middlesex County. But from the comp perspective, well, as you know, from the social security perspective, the, the evidentiary issue was not easy, not hard at all to overcome. In the comp world, um, what I needed to do was subpoena records from the employers and ter- to determine what gloves they were using at what time. I didn't have to get into the whole manufacturing process and the fact that they bypassed certain steps. So that wasn't really too critical. I did have to use a toxicologist on occasion. Uh, and oftentimes, I would find that the defense would come up with toxicologists, which I felt was actually cost-saving to me because I, I think a good across, a good cross-examination of their toxicologists will get you where, to, where you want to be in terms of these cases.
1: Do you find the insurers are defending these cases on the grounds that there is no latex allergy, that this is some other phenomenon, as opposed to the person no longer is disabled or the disability isn't? related to any exposure. Yeah,
2: they most definitely, their position has been that uh, this is something which is really psychological in nature, that there's something wrong with the nurse you're representing, and uh, that was very much the defense that we saw and st- actually still do see in some of these cases. Um, and, you know, the best way, I mean, you, 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 what you need in these cases is you need solid, reports from your uh, di- from your treating physicians, and if necessary, you bring in an expert, someone who's dealt with these cases.
1: Before. And Gail, do you find the mainstream medical community, the general practitioners, the frontline medical professionals that are seeing people coming in with wheezing, watery eyes, or rashes are now uh, sufficiently attuned to the latex problem that might be caused of these symptoms.
3: I think we've seen over the last 15 or so years a tremendous increase in the amount of information that people have. There's been so much in the literature, and I think you'd be hard-pressed as a defense attorney to say that this doesn't exist when all of the um, very well-respected peer-reviewed journals have articles on latex allergies. I mean, it's absolutely irrefutable. And the other thing, just to go back with with the cases, the other thing that latex allergy has that MCS and other illnesses don't have is you do have a blood test that can be positive. There are also some false negatives. In other words, the test could say you don't have it, and you, in fact, do. So then you look for the clinical. Uh, the symptoms get uh, come on at work, they get worse you know, the more the person works, that sort of thing but there is a blood test you know, just uh and and I think that's been and can be, be used. I think it's it's very well recognized now. What isn't always quite as well recognized is what the staff then does and somebody might turn around if you end up in an ER and snap off a glove say, oh, you're allergic to latex, let me get these gloves off, when snapping them off would be the exactly the wrong thing to do, but but people are aware of it. I, I think um, you know there's been a tremendous amount of education.
2: Alan, Alan, if I could, one of the things that I I was forced to do, and I my, I have a construction background, so it was fairly easy for me. But when Gail mentioned the snapping, what happens is, is the latex allergens are attached to the powder. When you snap the glove, it becomes airborne. People are now inhaling this. Well, you're doing this repeatedly. I had a lot of phlebotomists, for instance, I represented because they're constantly snapping. People that work for the Red Cross and whatnot. But what was happening in the hospitals is that once these uh, this dust of this powder became airborne, it was being circulated through the ventilation system, and that became a major problem because then you have to, from a from a, an attorney's perspective, you have to learn how the ventilation system is working because what was happening, particularly at a couple of hospitals I was involved with, it was going from floor to floor, and it was really becoming, you know, why are we having these problems in this floor? and so you get into the you, you start subpoenaing records about that and you learn quickly how the ventilation systems works uh and there's one one other little aside there she mentioned mcs cases i mean there's a major major difference between mcs cases as you know alan and latex allergy cases
1: and those are multiple chemical sensitivity a much less understood and recognized phenomenon
2: correct which as we both know has been hit tremendously by the air standard and it's a it's been a problem because on a number of cases I've had in those cases, what I do is I look for an alternate diagnosis, reactive airway disease, asthma, something something that's scientifically accepted, and that's the primary do- diagnosis that you try these cases on, not MCS. But what was happening is I was seeing symptoms similar to MCS in the latex cases, and I think part of that problem was the that the chemicals used in the manufacturing process, the ones that were used to clean the latex, also produce symptoms to other chemicals, formaldehyde, for instance, being one of them. Formaldehyde is in a, in a multitude of things that we use on a daily basis. That confused things a little bit. And what was happening is some of the defense attorneys were trying to turn the latex cases into MCA into cases, and they're not. They're latex cases. And so from a plaintiff's perspective, if you're handling these cases, stay on message, and that is, this is a latex case.
1: Jim, thank you. At this moment, I want to thank our guests, Sandra Jutris and Dr. Gail Lenahan, for coming out and giving their personal and professional accounts on latex allergies. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back with Jim Brady to talk about the case of the day, and we'll put Jim to the test. We'll be right back.
0: We'll be right back on the Legal Talk Network with more from our host, Attorney Alan S. Pierce. And his guest on Workers' Comp Matters, where we focus on the people and legal issues in Workers' Comp cases. You can listen to Workers' Comp Matters anytime on your computer or download the show to listen later. We invite you to join as a member to Legal Talk Network so you can get updates on our upcoming internet radio shows. A video settlement documentary can be the most powerful and persuasive way to bring about a speedy settlement in your client's case. The Boston Media Group has a staff of television professionals with 20 years' experience writing and producing compelling stories just like the ones you've seen on 60 Minutes or Dateline. We put a human face on the lawsuit with compelling interviews, dramatizations, and visual presentations of the facts. Think of it as a video opening argument that will compel the attorneys on the other side to settle. Call us for a consult at 800-317-5221. That's 800-317-5221. Or check out our website at bostonmediagroup.com.
1: Welcome back to Workers' Comp Matters, where we've been discussing workers' compensation cases and the law, and with specific reference to problems resulting from exposure to latex in the workplace. I'm Alan Pierce. We think you find this and our other shows interesting. And joining me today uh, is Attorney Jim Brady, who is an expert in the complicated field of representing. People with latex allergies. Jim, one of the features of workers' comp matters is something we call case of the day, and I'm going to uh, describe a case to you and get your thoughts. Uh, the issue I want you to consider is whether the fear of cancer is a compensable condition. And today's case, comes to us from the U.S. Supreme Court of all places. It is the case of Norfolk and Western Railway Company versus Ayers. Now, our case began in West Virginia, where there were six retired employees of the Norfolk and Western Railway Company, who during their working years were diagnosed with asbestosis as a result of exposure to asbestos in the workplace. They brought a claim under the Federal Employer Liability Act, known as FELA, which, as you know, provides for pain and suffering and tort damages. And the six employees sued their employer railroad for pain and suffering, including the fear of developing cancer. None of the patients or none of the plaintiffs had yet been diagnosed with cancer. Could they collect damages for their cancer phobia? How do you think the Supreme Court ruled on that case?
2: Well, you're going to stump me, Alan. How do I think they ruled? Well, given this Supreme Court, I, I think they ruled that such cause of action was not a viable cause of action. that is the fear of since there had been no diagnosis actually uh, rendered in the case.
1: You're close, but the Supreme Court surprisingly ruled that they had a cause of action. The court ruled that where an emotional distress uh, was provoked or caused as a result of a physical injury, in this case asbestosis, the subsequent fear of cancer was indeed a compensable element of their damages. And I think the point you were raising would be if, let's say, these six knew they were exposed to asbestos and had a fear of developing asbestosis. I think the rationale of the court in that case was, without a physical injury having yet occurred, the fear is too ephemeral to be compensable. However, once there was the physical injury, then the fear of the logical consequences, in this case cancer, which is a natural consequence of asbestos disease, it stood the test, and the U.S. Supreme Court actually reversed the denial of benefits that had uh, come up through the courts.
2: Well, as an aside, I would have ruled that way. But I, I know you I <laughs> <laughs> But I was, I was thinking of how our presence bring I'm surprised, and I'm delighted to hear that. I am, too.
1: Well, I, again, want to thank our guest, Sandra Jutras, for being here, Dr. Gail Lenehan, uh, a victim of latex allergy and a very useful uh Treater and resource for those uh, who have uh, problems with exposures to latex. Don't forget to listen to Attorney Jim Brady's show that he co-hosts here on the Legal Talk Network with fellow trial attorney Paul Kenny. That's the Boston Bar, Myth and Magic, Being a Trial Lawyer in the America of Today. You can listen to that show right here on the Legal Talk Network. We hope you'll join us for another Workers' Comp Matters show. Some of the other... Topics that we will be discussing are Medicare set-aside allocations in workers' comp cases, the controversial issue of representing undocumented workers, and we hope you'll join us for these shows, too. Thanks for listening today. I'm Attorney Alan Pierce. Hope you go out and make it a day that matters.
0: Thanks for listening to Workers' Comp Matters today on the Legal Talk Network, hosted by Attorney Alan S. Pierce, where we try to make a difference in workers' comp legal cases For people injured at work, be sure to listen to other Workers' Comp Matters shows on the Legal Talk Network, your only choice for legal talk.